Are you exhausted from striving to be perfect? When things don't go your way, when you don't feel perfect, you may put yourself under more stress trying to control things. And over time, that can potentially lead to chronic illness. Today, we're exploring the impact of perfectionism. Stay tuned to get practical strategies to release stress and anxiety and find acceptance of yourself. Hello, and welcome to Sailing Through Life. I'm Lori, your host and friend. Join me as I share conversations that give you hope through the storms of life. You'll find inspiration through the experiences of my guests, as well as hearing my own crazy, wonderful adventure. Create the life you desire by discovering new ways to focus on your health and well-being through modifying your habits and improving your mindset. Set sail with me on this journey to realize the strength and resilience you have inside. Let us show you how as you sail through life. Welcome aboard. I just want to say thank you to all of you listening today. You are so important to me and I really appreciate you. I hope to continue to bring inspiration to your day every day. Join me on this endeavor. I would love to grow this extraordinary community for all of you. Support this show by sharing it with your friends and family and by making a contribution financially to help us reach more listeners and continue to improve the show. Check out sailingthroughlifepodcast.com to learn more. One of the parts of mindful self-compassion is it's called common humanity, which is other people have been in this situation just like I am right now. It's, it's a way to not feel so alone in it. And so that can fit in with other people get lost in their thoughts too. Other people have fearful thoughts when we're going through something that's difficult and throwing us into like feeling out of control, right? When our bodies aren't feeling well, we actually grasp onto anything we can control. My guest, Vicki Smith, is a licensed psychotherapist and coach that specializes in people-pleasing and perfectionism. Perfectionism can be a really hard habit to break with the way we see everything in the world. We judge ourselves based on what we see around us when you really need to be focused on who you are. Today, Vicki brings her personal and professional experience and shares her thoughts on perfectionism and self-compassion. Through mindfulness, she helps you discover your true nature and share it with the world to live the life you've always wanted. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm excited to see where we're going to go with this. <laughs> yes, ah. it's always a journey on this show. It's an adventure. We'll look at it that way. Yes, that's fun. Yes. Well, I had so many ideas about our conversation today and and I know that sometimes we get into some really bad habits created by something that happens to us or just life in general. And when we have those moments that we start going down the wrong path, I wanted to have a conversation about how to right that path, how to get back on track and back on course, I guess. And so I wanted to talk today about perfectionism and self-compassion. And those two things kind of are like a hot spot for me too. So I'm going to learn a lot today talking to you. So I appreciate you being here and, and sharing this with us. 
Yeah, I love these topics because I am a perfectionist and I often forget that there is self-compassion out there to to uh, a little tool in the toolbox to reach for. So when I do, it really eases the perfectionism. I call it right-sizing it. Um, so yes, I would love to share how compassion kind of eases the the sting of perfectionism. Awesome. Well, I know when I was going through my original diagnosis and some of the realizations that I had about all the pressure I put on myself yeah. to be so perfect at things. And when things kind of went out of control, I tried to contain that and control that even more, which was more <laughs> destructive. And so that's why I thought this topic of perfection and how that can take you down the wrong path. There's, I'm sure, a lot of reasons why it's a good thing at times, but there's also a lot of negative aspects to being perfect and if it's even a thing. So I wanted to talk about what is perfect and how do we not get so sucked into that? What do we do to catch ourselves? Right. Well, first, perfection is subjective. So it's based on our own internal idea of what we need to do to escape um, rejection and judgment and criticism. So my template for what I need to do to get away from those hard experiences of being criticized or feeling alone and rejected is different from yours. So mm -hmm. if I'm trying to use my internal template to be perfect for you, I'm never going to match up. And the whole idea of perfectionism is I just want to escape the feelings, the bad feelings, the negative feelings. But if I'm trying to meet your standards based on my template <laughs> and I'm trying to escape a feeling that I have by proving something to you and getting your positive feedback. Oh my gosh. I mean, can you just see how many wires are crossed there? Like we're, mm -hmm. we're just sort of setting ourselves up for not being able to actually get away from the feelings of um, the fearful feelings we are assuming are going to happen if we don't show up and do things the right way. Um, so I just like to remind myself and others that perfection is a subjective, arbitrary goalpost. And um, sometimes that kind of helps us to step back a little bit from it and ease the clinch inside around how I need to be or how I should be to make the, the path that I'm walking a little bit smoother. <laughs> right, right. And it seems like that when you start going down that path of trying to prove yourself to other people. And and maybe that's part of it is the overcompensation of, yeah. you know, feeling judged. And then you're trying to balance that out with being better at something. And it just it just kind of perpetuates more. And mm -hmm. so catching yourself and realizing that you're in your own lane and whatever <laughs> this is out here is is out here and creating more of a safe zone for yourself by not getting stuck in that fearful thought of of what's going to happen or what's somebody going to think. And and I know that stress buildup is so bad for our bodies, our minds, yes. and our physical bodies. And so I know there's a link to that stress we feel and put ourselves under mm -hmm. and what happens when we don't listen to stop that and what things can go haywire 
with our bodies and, you know, including chronic illnesses and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that you put fearful thought, like those two words together, because that is the emotion and then the mm-hmm. thinking. And that's why I love, I, you know, mindful self-compassion is really how I think about self-compassion. I put the word mindfulness in with it because there's a lot about pulling out and separating thoughts and feelings and being mindful of how they do go together. Like thoughts Mm -hmm. will lead to feelings and feelings can be physical sensations and they can be emotions. And typically when we get to the feeling part of that little, you know, domino effect of thoughts lead to feelings, we are experiencing something that's uncomfortable in that feeling section. Mm -hmm. So if we can separate feelings, separate thoughts, and work on, especially at first, the thoughts, the stories that we're weaving about the situation we're encountering, um, we can have a little bit of, uh, dare I say, control over how we respond, react to what's happening to us. And I think that eases the perfectionism. If we Mm -hmm. catch ourselves in those thought spirals and offer that mindfulness around separating the the feeling and the thought, but then bring in the compassion once we get clear about, oh, I'm lost again, or, oh, this is this is where I am in my body or in my emotions around the story. I know we talked previously about the things that can sink our feelings, the things that uh, we focus on that can pull us down. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, definitely expectations of what is supposed to happen in our lives. Um, we have sort of this unconscious idea of like, this is how things are supposed to work. If I work really hard, I'm supposed to get the reward. Or if, um, especially with health concerns, if I take care of my body, I'm not supposed to have illness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I laugh because we can't escape aging or illness. And so I think when we encounter things, especially body, you know, our bodies changing, our bodies responding to something, our bodies doing their job, really, mm-hmm. um, we often resist. So if I say to myself, I shouldn't have a chronic illness, or um, I shouldn't have sprained my ankle, I should be able to run down the street. And why did I trip, you know, and we're kind of talking to ourselves about the event or about the diagnosis. And we're not wanting it to be part of our current experience. So we fight it. And when we fight reality, and we deny that the things that are actually on our path, are going to have to be faced and worked with and worked through, then, um, yeah, we're we're adding stress to our experience. And I think a lot of the resistance is in the form of thinking, this shouldn't be mm-hmm. happening. I don't want this to be my reality. Why is this happening? And understandably, because it's lots of times, especially with diagnoses, we are afraid. What oh, is yeah. this going to, and you know, what's my life going to look like? What am I going to have to go through? Um, I don't want to. So some of that is expectation uh, around Mm -hmm. what our current reality is and judging ourselves, even if we don't really put it under the category of judging, but 
judging our bodies for not being healthy enough where, um, yeah, sometimes I can get caught in that, you know, why did I, why am I sick? Why didn't I take care of myself better? Or why didn't I fight this off? And it's like, my body is doing what I've asked it to do, which is, um, just, you know, get the threats out and this is how it's doing it. So if I'm upset with myself, I'm actually adding, um, judgment to what is a natural experience my body's going through. When when we get into a situation where, you know, the what ifs and the shoulds come into play and, and those are those two phrases I try to not use in my vocabulary well, because you get stuck there and it's hard to see what's going on around you when you're so fascinated by that. Yes. Yes. The shoulds are so slippery. I, you know, they they sneak in and you you don't even have to use the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just when you're fighting something, it's it's kind of inherent that you're having a should or a shouldn't in your unconscious vocabulary um, or your unconscious yeah, interactions with yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, the what ifs are from the past and the future. What if I had done this differently? Um, what if this changes the course of things forever? Um, I I can't remember who I borrowed it from, but I've added a what if for the future that just kind of um, throws a little kink into that negative tailspin, which mm-hmm. is what if it works out? Yes. <laughs> so if I start to go into those what ifs, if I actually catch myself with those two words, you know, at the beginning of my internal dialogue, I'm like, okay, I'll finish that negative sentence and then I'm just going to place this one right next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what if it works out? What if this isn't going to follow the storyline that I think it is because that storyline is borrowed from the past Mm -hmm. of the you know the hard thing that we went through that swept us off our feet not in a good way like rug pulled out from under us and we weren't prepared so we're we're just trying to prepare to not have the rug pulled out again and to have you know put us into fight or flight or freeze so we're saying okay I'll prepare for it what if the worst case scenario happens and it's just a it's, you know, it's an understandable way for us to try to protect ourselves. It just puts us on that roundabout where um, where the stories, we are weaving a horror movie in our mind. And, mm. um, you know, a lot of times, like, we're not going to lie, when you get a scary health diagnosis, the what ifs, you know, you are going to go worst case scenario. And right. sometimes I just like to let myself do it but uh, you know kind of cap the time of it rec- recognizing it's a part of my mind that is trying to prepare me and it's okay it's just it can't be the only way that I'm looking at what I've got in front of me and it's interesting too when you were referencing what has been in the past or worrying about what is in the future and I'd like to transition into staying present and what oh, mindfulness fair. can do for us when we're faced with something like this, what skills can we put, like you said, in our toolbox to use to help us when we start seeing ourselves getting into these situations? Well, this is why I feel like mindfulness is a how-to-do life handbook. And (laughs) at least that's how it landed for me. When it was shared with me, I sort of thought, I really could have used this about 20 years ago. <laughs> I might yes. not have put myself through as much of a hell as I um, as I lived through. And I think about the formula, thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings send us into an urge to get rid of those feelings. 
And so we move to a behavior very quickly. So thought leads to feeling, leads to an urge to get out of the feeling, and that throws us into a behavior. Now, sometimes that behavior is external and sometimes it's internal. (laughs) It can be Mm. thought, you know, a thought loop is a behavior. Um, But I use that thoughts lead to feelings for my mindfulness, the beginning of my mindfulness toolkit building, because Mm -hmm. I like to section them out, know what thoughts are leading to the scary feelings I'm having. And so I... I like to do catching my thoughts as a mindfulness exercise. Thoughts are like butterflies. They go all over the place. If you've ever watched a butterfly, it doesn't really have a pattern. And sometimes I like to imagine just having a big old butterfly net and actually catching my thoughts and being really interested in them instead of fighting them. I kind of look at them like a scientist would look at a formula or a... um, the chemistry of, you know, the molecules and how they interact and I break them down and how many of them go this way and how many of them go that way. I I just like to have my scientist hat on and I like to catch my thoughts. And then I do this exercise of sorting the laundry. Excuse me, I like to mix metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) They're clean butterflies, that's all. So I sort the laundry and I figure out my two or three themes that these thoughts, which are little micro stories all over the place, I figure out the themes that they fit in. And I want to be on to myself. I want to know what themes I naturally run through my head without thinking about it. So if I catch them and I sort them, kind of label them, then I have a fighting chance with them um, because I can start to get curious about, oh, which storyline is that or which theme is that that I'm running right now? I'm not original. You aren't either. None of us are with our thoughts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some data at one point I came across was like, we have 60,000 thoughts a day and hardly any of them are original. So, um So that's one of the first things I like to do with mindfulness is get totally interested in what I'm thinking and what theme it is. This could be a, like, what storyline am I running again? This is a past storyline. This is a future storyline. Sometimes I just like to label them like that if it's Mm -hmm. too complicated inside. But I got to get a handle on what is running through my head or else I really can't alter it. I can't go in and tweak it. I can't slow it down if I don't know what's happening. And that's the point where you cannot beat yourself up over what you're thinking. You have to, you have to just, like you said, look at it from from a distance. You know, you can't be so consumed by it. You, You just have to kind of work through what it is and, and, when you sort it out, I think that lessens the the chaos because yes. you're you're kind of compartmentalizing some of it, and um and so when we get into that habit of getting overwhelmed by all this stuff, we then have to turn to compa- self compassion and and what that does for us to play into when we're sorting all this out and how we process all that is that you know you're taking a moment to 
cut yourself some slack as you work <laughs> through it. Right. And to recognize one of the one of the parts of mindful self-compassion is it's called common humanity, which is other people have been in this situation just like I am right now. It's it's a way to not feel so alone in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can fit in with other people get lost in their thoughts too. Other people have fearful thoughts when we're going through something that's difficult and throwing us into like feeling out of control, right? When our bodies mm-hmm. aren't feeling well, we actually grasp onto anything we can control. And, you know, uh, thoughts and giving ourselves a little bit of a break is actually a way to find a slight bit of control of in how we're reacting to what our body is going through. So one part of mindful self-compassion is the common humanity piece, uh, recognizing that this isn't something that only I am suffering from right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am caught. And another part of mindful self-compassion is placing a hand on your heart, feeling the warmth of your hand. And I like to say it out loud just because it helps me separate even more, but actually naming that I am in a moment of suffering right now. My mind is weaving a story that is scaring me and I am lost in that story. So, okay, this is where I'm at right now. I'm stopping the fast train of the thought and I'm reminding myself that I actually have the ability to slow that down and to name I'm suffering right now. And if I can remind myself that I am, I can ask then what's needed, what's needed when I'm in a space of suffering like this. So those are kind of the the typical ways of looking at mindful self-compassion, recognizing suffering, common humanity, and asking what's needed next. And it's interesting as you were explaining that, the calm that came over, just settling down those that frantic feeling it just kind of neutralized all that where you could just (laughs) take a moment and breathe through it because you do you I think you want to problem solve everything you want to have answers to everything you want to you want to know and sometimes you can't sometimes you don't get those answers sometimes you just have to figure out how to be okay with that and that calm that brings when you can settle all that down I mean, that does so much for your body and your mind when you can just settle and breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, I'm going to throw another analogy or metaphor in for you, but <laughs> okay. the, uh, so the way my mind works, it works in pictures. Uh, the shaken up snow globe is what mm-hmm. I like to share with my, my mindfulness students is when you recognize that you are in that snowstorm inside and that it's hard to be in a snowstorm where you're grasping for solutions, you're grasping for when is this going to end? What is the next step that I can count on? Um, and we're, we're trying to put parameters around it so that our mind can feel like there's an end to this or there's a, there's a step and we're on step nine and there's only step 10 to go. You know, So we're trying to calm ourselves down so much with our minds, but in that snow globe, we're in fight or flight or freeze. Like our nervous system is off. Um, so we can't really use our minds in the way that we want to. So recognizing the snow globe and almost like standing in the middle of that blizzard and just putting our hand on our heart and going, I'm in a blizzard right now. 
did I know that? (laughs) (laughs) Was I aware that I'm sort of creating my own blizzard? But, you know, in the South where I'm from, we say, you know, bless your heart. And we kind of say it with a a not so nice way. (laughs) (laughs) But this really is the nice way of saying kind of bless my heart for forgetting, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just wow. I lost, I lost myself for a second in the middle of this blizzard. And while I'm stopping that snow globe, the snow is settling, right? And so as that settles, we're not caught in as much of the blizzard. And then we can move forward with more perspective and more compassion. How does all this lead to being more resilient for future events and how we work through those? Right. Well, the resilience piece is always a, it's a carrot I'm always grasping for. I'm always like, when am I going to be resilient? Right. And I think (laughs) that I think it's an accumulated effect of doing a mindful practice. And it's sometimes it's like I've, I've done this with myself and I've asked clients to do this as well when we're not feeling like anything is building on itself is to get a mason jar or whatever and just put a grain of rice in it every time you remember to do a mindfulness practice um, and or sort of a nervous system regulation practice, which mm-hmm. could be breathing or something like that, so that you start to see that those little bits, those little grains of rice are adding up. So I think resilience for me, and I, you know, hopefully this makes sense, is it's kind of like I think about it as the word balance, which I never like the word balance, but I think about balance as like a pendulum. Like so- at some point you do swing through that middle place mm-hmm. <laughs> where it is balance. Sometimes I think about resilience that way is there are times that I do feel resilient. I remember my practice. I can lean back on my practice because I look and I see I have accumulated um trusting when I put my hand on my heart and saying to out loud, loud to myself, we're in a moment of suffering right now. Mm-hmm. I can trust myself that that will ease maybe 10%, maybe 50%. Mm-hmm. But for me, resilience is remembering that I have the tools and trusting that I can pull out something that will sit beside me and help me remember that this isn't as bad as my mind is weaving a story about or as hard as my internal, like actual physical experience of it is um, sort of as, as hard as a fight or flight or freeze is for me. It's not as bad as it really feels right now because I might, mm-hmm. at the, I might be at the crest of the wave of that internal physical experience, but it will pass it will lessen. And so my my feeling about resilience is it's accumulated effect of remembering, touching in, trying a practice. And then sometimes it's just reaching out for support. Like I do need a life preserver here. And mm-hmm. uh, because I am, that is one of my tools in my toolbox. Um, so resilience is a hard one for me because I, I feel like at first when I learned about it, I wanted it to be a setting that a place I landed, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm flying to San Francisco and I land in San Francisco <laughs> and now I'm in resilience. But I think it is more of a moving through something, a remembering and a trusting that a practice can help ease some of the discomfort. 
And as you were speaking, I was paying attention to how I was responding to what you were saying, and I could feel myself uh -huh. breathing. And I know breathing <laughs> and just being purposeful with how you breathe can affect a lot with your body as well. Yes. Yeah. Yoga has, yoga was my first love, and it really wasn't too many hop, skips, and jumps to mindfulness after that. Um, and so I love some of the yoga breathing exercises that I learned about how to find balance, that word again, a brain balancing ex, um, uh, breath is one of my favorite ones to go to. Uh, all, it's called alternate nostril breathing um, or a cooling down breath, which is it's called satali breath, but you basically just curl your tongue if you can do that and breathe in and feel the coolness across your tongue. Um, and then close your mouth and breathe out your nose. So like there are there are a few things that I will grab onto that I say to myself, you know, I need to get my body, I need to talk directly to my body first before I can actually work my way through this, um, talk my way through this, change my story that I'm running. And so breathing is a favorite for my for me. And people resist it. People think like it can't do that. You know, it can't be that quick of a fix but really it is it will yeah it will give you a reprieve because mm -hmm. you are telling you are saying to your body this is the language you understand and I am speaking directly to you I'm bypassing the mind I'll get the mind on board after body you and I do this breath together it's very mm -hmm. comforting it is it is and it is amazing how something so simple and natural <laughs> can be so accommodating to calming you down and helping you have a moment of clarity, taking the pressure off. It does a lot of things in that moment. You just have to know to do it. And uh -huh. you know, to start, I even had uh, an alarm set on my phone that I knew when <laughs> through the busy day, you get caught up in things and I would catch myself holding my breath. Uh -huh. And that would help me, you know, are you breathing? Take a deep uh -huh. breath, you know, do some box breathing, something yes. to help restructure the day and, and get out of that holding breath thing that I I still have struggle with at times. But it, it is so important when you do that. And it's it, you're right. It's like it doesn't seem like it would really do anything, but it does. Right. And you have it with you all the time, which is another mm -hmm. infuriating, you know, component to breathing. It's like I don't have to have an app on my phone or anything <laughs> like that. Like I can simply stop like so I do think our minds are like yeah this is too simple but I will mm -hmm. say that you can throw a breath at yourself <laughs> right you can throw a breath at your anxiety and you'll feel a little bit better but if you don't continue the practice of breathing in some consistent way mm -hmm. even though you know we grab it when we're stressed then your body will respond right away, but it won't kind of lock in mm -hmm. to what that tool does for you. Right. It's a quick fix. And I think that's why people resist it because they're like, yeah, but it doesn't last. It's like, right, it doesn't last, but it's that's only because we use it in emergency situations. If you use it, like you're talking about, like incorporating it just daily, mm -hmm. just for the heck of it to start to down experiment with it, and see what it does for you when you're not in that eye of the storm or in the storm, um, your body will start to trust you and it, mm -hmm. it, it will last a little bit longer. So 
Yeah, it's anything that comes with uh, with an asterisk footnote of practicing this is actually how you maintain it. Yes. <laughs> That's what happens with the breath. It'll work for a minute, but if you really want your body to drop into settling, it's, uh, it's something you got to bring around more often than when you're in um, emergency situations. And it's funny, I just... You always have to have like a silly thing that comes through your mind. You're speaking about practicing and I'm like, practice makes perfect. No, no, it doesn't. No, we're not going there. <laughs> yes. I know those cliches. Well, they do come in handy, right? But yes, when you're trying to ease up perfection, um, you can just hang out and practice and say, I'm just practicing. Right. And I think too, when I set that alarm, I intuitively over time your body just is expecting you to do that because you've done it so many times at that same time it's like setting a bedtime or setting a time to get up or setting the time you eat your body just gets into a schedule or a routine of of wanting that and so it is an easier way to work into it and be consistent and like you said that is the key to all of it is being consistent consistent in how you deal with things, you know, work on what tools you have to help you through those stressful moments. And then also just reprogramming how you feel throughout the day, whether you're conscious or not of the thoughts you're having, there's stuff still cooking in there that you aren't really necessarily aware of. Right. I like the reflection at the end of the day Mm -hmm. of, you know, what were my thoughts? You know, like if I look at my categories, look at my themes and I say, you know what? Yep, I pulled on that seam a lot today. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, did I forget to breathe? You know, or I, I did. I did breathe today. I remembered my noon alarm went off and I, I did five minutes of box breathing, you know. And so at the end of the day, I can say like, oh, how was that? Not grading myself on how mm-hmm. I did, but just what stands out for me? What were the themes in my, you know, my thoughts today? How did that feel when I took a breath? And the more that I bring my mindful observation to what my day was, the next day, it's going to start to be part of my process of starting to reflect a little earlier than at night. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, then we're creating a habit or a pattern or a routine or a system for our mindfulness to more active and throughout our day. Yeah, I'm good. I'm zenning. I'm I'm all <laughs> in. <laughs> I, I got some deep breathing going on. I'm listening to you. And I just, I love that feeling where the craziness, that that feeling you get in your body when it's all wound up and, and you're, you're not really sure what's going on and you're feeling that anxiety. And then to contrast it with, you know what? It's a moment and I can take it and I can relax and I can sit back and understand better what I'm feeling. And there's no pressure. It, oh, it, yes. it's, it's just so much of a, a difference between those two moments. And I, I think once you start feeling that, you'll understand how even something so simple can be something so great in your life. Yeah, I love the I love when you when you brought that word pressure in, because it's like, yeah, that's what we feel. And so mm-hmm. these are to ease the pressure. And if this is a practice, there's not, there's not pressure in mm-hmm. it. It's just practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now I, I feel like a less pressure. 
See, we're all just chilled out at the end of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. And we're all there to help each other, remember, because yeah. you forget. Well, you do. You do. You do. I think in your 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 desire to keep things under wrap, to try to be perfect, you uh, can't, you know, you're vulnerable if you express that you're dealing with something sometimes. I think you create all these little situations that make you feel very isolated. And when you can reach out and start connecting with other people to help keep you on track, that is like the biggest advantage to doing a lot of this. Yes. Yeah. You can do so much more when somebody's hanging out next to you with their hand on your back saying, I got you or I see yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks well, for thank being that for you. us today. I was going to say thank you for being that. I was actually <laughs> say the same thing. Thanks for reminding too. me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was great. Yeah. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you for, for your knowledge and your, you're just such a peaceful vibe that you have. I love Aww. it. I love it. I love it. I could be here for a long time today. In fact, I'm going to take this conversation with me through the rest of the day. And uh, I think I'm going to feel pretty good by the end of the day. So yes. me too. Thanks for asking me to remember and um, for sharing. So I appreciate it. My hand, my hand is on my heart right now. If you can't see that. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoy um, what you're offering to your folks because I think it's it's very, very much needed. So I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate it. And I appreciate just the fact that we have the opportunity to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's natural to feel overwhelmed by emotions such as fear, anger, guilt, anxiety. But recognizing these feelings can be the first step to finding ways to manage them. It's important to focus on what you can do each day rather than trying to control outcomes and be perfect. Vicki encourages you to replace words like should and what if with what if it works out. It's a way to introduce a more positive outlook. She suggested that when the negative thoughts start to take over, to limit the amount of time that you spend in that mindset and focus on staying present. I love Vicki's example of the butterflies as our thoughts. When you catch your thoughts and start looking at them with a different perspective, you can become really curious with them instead of fighting them. This will allow you to learn more about yourself and become more aware. You can learn more about Vicki at powertothepleasers.com. You'll also find the rest of her links in the episode description. It's time to feel empowered. It's time to make every choice count. Supporting this show allows us to continue to make a difference in someone's life. You can share this episode with friends and family and contribute financially. If you or someone you care about would like to share your experience, or if you know an organization to help, even just one person, you can message me through my website. Just go to sailingthroughlifepodcast.com to be a part of the crew. Stay anchored. Chat with you next time. Thank you.